Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Start a new series today. New series is called Love Is because the research is in and it's been proven for more than 100 years about what makes a meaningful life. And it's love. Not romantic love. The thing that makes life meaningful is when people know the real you and they love you anyways. That's what actually makes a meaningful life. Those that are happy, successful, that are doing well, that they're adjusted, that they thrive in life, it's those people that are loved. So it begs this question, what is love? I need your help this morning, okay? I want you to answer that question with one word. Love is what, okay? That's my question for you. So start thinking about it. There's thousands of ways to answer this question, right? Love is, and then it has an answer. Love, love, love is what, okay? So here's what I want you to do right now. Start thinking. You got three or four kind of answers to that. Love is just one word, not a sentence. I know some of you answer questions with paragraphs. Stop it. Love is, you get one word. You ready? You got it in your head? Turn to your neighbor, someone in the same row near you, and tell them the answer to your question. Love is, one word, go. All right, you just shared one word, the other person gets a chance now, right? See, you laugh because you didn't use one word, did you? There's always someone in the group that's like, so here's my answer, right? Um, okay, so now I knew if I asked you, hey, I want you to share your answer with me, you wouldn't because you'd be intimidated by a large number of people in the room, right? So I'm going to make it easier on you. Tell me what your neighbor just told you. Okay, just one word. Seriously, tell me. I want to hear them. This section. Love is what? Parents. That's special. That's so awesome. What, what, anybody else over here? What else? God, there's a good church person here. Family, I heard. What about this section? Patience, compassion, trust. Good, all right. Now that they got all the wrong answers, why don't you guys talk to me over here? Love is? That's all I heard. Wow. Sorry, it was my hearing, not your answer. That was amazing. Love is. So there's a scripture that talks about this. It literally says, love is, and then it gives 16 qualities of what love is. Actually, it gives eight positive qualities and eight negative qualities. It says love is, and then it gives eight things that love is, and then it says love is not, and it lists eight things that love is not. And this list is going to be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, so open your Bibles, whether you have a... um, Digital Bible, paper Bible, just open up your Bibles. I want you to see this. Out of all the words that the Apostle Paul, as inspired by God, when he writes this list, he kicks it off with one word. And if you're familiar with this or you've gone to enough weddings, you know what it starts with. Love is, yeah, love is patient. The ironic part is that we actually use this text at weddings, 
our family, we are 12 days out from Courtney and DJ getting married. Now, as I think about their wedding, I am just imagining the two of them standing at this outdoor venue at this this beautiful location, facing each other as she holds these beautiful flowers, and they're all dressed up. They've been waiting for this day for so long. And the person at the wedding, who's officiating the wedding, then reads from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, and says, Love is patient. It's weird. This is what I mean. Hey, DJ, take a look at Courtney. Woo! Hey, Courtney, take a look at DJ. You're going to need a whole lot of patience for all that. I mean, that's what the scripture means. You know what the definition of patience is? Long-suffering. Dearly beloved, thank you for gathering here today as we join the lives of Courtney Joy, Simrock, and DJ Rocha in holy matrimony as they begin their journey together of long-suffering. Do you ever pay attention to what's being read at weddings? Out of all the things that Paul could have started with, he grabs this word to say, love is patient. Do you know why? Here's the answer today. Love is messy. We make it a mess. They make it a mess. And I'm not talking about marriage because when Paul writes this, he's not talking about weddings. He's not talking about a husband and a wife. He's talking about the church. He's talking about you and me and how we get along with each other, how you get along with each other. And he says this, love first has to be patient. Why? Because you're all a hot mess. There's things that go on between us that are super, super messy. The quality of patience assumes difficulty, conflict, and messiness. So here's why we're doing this series. Four weeks called Love Is. We're going to walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love passage, right? The reason we're going to do it, and just remember, this is not talking about romantic love. This is how the church gets along, is that in our friendships, we are not becoming easier to love. And the world that we live in is not becoming easier to love. Here's why. My theory is this. Fear, anxiety, and anger is on the rise. That's no shocker to you, right? Pick any of life events over the last couple of years, pandemic violence, conflict, politics. Isn't it kind of a big mess right now? And in the mess of it, the way that we respond is typically fear, anxiety, anger, uncertainty, Now, all of those are triggers for what is called uh, the fight-or-flight response, right? If you become afraid, you become anxious, you become uncertain, you become afraid, and you have two tendencies. One is like when something comes at you and feels threatening, you're ready to fight and take it on. Or flight, you're ready to run away. Here's the problem. It's super hard to love people who are either running from you or fighting you. We live in a world where it's becoming increasingly difficult to love people. And if we're really, really honest, here it is. We often are becoming increasingly more difficult to love because our fear and our anxiety and the threats and the uncertainty of life tends to grab a grip on our souls and we respond with fight or flight. 
So I think if I'm going to be really honest with you today, I hope you'll be honest with me. The answer is love is messy. And so if we're going to love each other well in the mess that we've created, we need to be, first of all, patient. 2022 and 2021 and 2020 and all the years before that never surprised God. (laughs) In his infinite wisdom, he gives us this list, not just from Paul. Paul, being the instrument of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, states, love is it's patience. Love is patient. Why? Because God knew that love would be super challenging. So let's do this together. I, I want to read the whole passage so, so you kind of get some context behind it. So um, it's going to be on the screen behind us. We're going to read this together. You ready? Here's the whole thing. Read it with me. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Remember, it's not about marriage. It's not about a wedding. It's about how Christians love each other. So he starts with this because love Man, relationships can be messy. Now, you might not actually be familiar with the story that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because you might not actually know the storyline. Um, can, I, can I help you with something real quick? I'm going to ask you to do something. H- help your knowledge of the scriptures grow up a little bit so that you're super familiar with this. It only will take you eight minutes, okay? When you get home today, look at the thebibleproject.com. I often refer to this site. It is the best tool for understanding a book of the Bible as a whole. So you you go on YouTube, type in the Bible project, and up will come this site, and you search for 1 Corinthians. And in eight minutes, it will tell you the entire kind of summary of these 16 chapters of of the book of 1 Corinthians. What it'll show you is this. Paul was addressing five ways that the church was messy. He, He wrote him this letter, and he said, I understand that you're not actually doing well. I understand that you've been having a hard time. Now, the background to this is that Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth, this city, and he was teaching people about Jesus, and it was a rough place. You find this story actually in Acts chapter 18, where Paul goes to the city of Corinth, and he starts telling about Jesus, and the Jewish community, Paul's typical move would be, he goes to the synagogue in the local town, and he starts telling about Jesus. You find this... um, conflict that happens where they got so tired of Paul that they brought him to court and started putting him on trial because of the things that he was saying. And in that moment, God gives him this vision. This is the vision that that God speaks to Paul. It says this, and this is Acts 18, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Apparently, the city of Corinth is a pretty rough place. Paul was afraid of getting beat up, manhandled, abused. But God said, no, don't worry about it. I I want you to keep going. Well, it got so threatening at the synagogue that Paul's like, I'm out. I'm going to leave this community. I'm just going to go to the Gentiles in town because they seem to be much more open and receptive to what it is that I'm saying. So after a year and a half, Paul decides, I think it's time. I'm going to go to a new city, start a new church, help people discover who Jesus is. And after that year and a half, there's a church. Not a building, 
But there's a group of people that have said, we believe in Jesus. We believe he's the son of God, that he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven and we could have a relationship with God. There's a group of people committed to Jesus. And so Paul moves on to the next town. Somewhere down the road, months, years, Paul gets a letter from some people in the town of Corinth. And they're updating him on how well the church is doing and how well they're thriving. And in the letter, it's just one of these, Paul can't believe it. The church is doing what? The people are making a mess of the church? They're making a mess of the relationships? Well, I thought that they were better than that. So Paul, he writes them a letter back. And in that letter that we have as 1 Corinthians, he says, let me address the five things I'm hearing about your church. But here's what's so cool. He says, remember the Jesus I told you about? Jesus and the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us and how do we follow him? The gospel, this is the thing I taught you before. It answers the five problems that you have. So go on to thebibleproject.com, take a look at that. And I just want you to see the overall summary of that, okay? My point behind this, though, is if you understand the letter of 1 Corinthians, you know why Paul started his love list with the word patience. It's because the church that he's writing to really was a total mess. Let me just give you one example of the five things. If you have 1 Corinthians open, open up to chapter 1. Let me show you the storyline. Maybe you can underline a couple of these and go through this. It's the church in Corinth. I'm just about to tell you why they were so messy. The first is this. They fought about, not thought about, fought about their favorite, who their favorite leader was in the church. This is where it reads, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul writes, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean in this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas, Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. This guy, Apollos, he was a guy who showed up after Paul, and he was a very good speaker. It was interesting, though, because he didn't know certain things about Jesus, so only he, he taught only what he knew. And there were these other two in town, Aquila and Priscilla. They actually brought Apollos under their wings and said that well, you need to understand all of what the gospel is. And so Apollos became this great teacher. And some people are like, I just really like the way he talks. And you know what? We're, we follow Apollos. No, 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 no. Paul's like, you missed the whole point. We all follow Jesus. The, the scriptures, the, the church never centers on a teacher. Teachers can come and go. Jesus is the one who stands in the center of the church. He's our focus, our attention. He's the eternal one on whom the church is built. Amen? But how come so often we turn our eyes to, oh, but this person does this and this person, and I follow that person? Here's the second problem. He takes their divisions and he just speaks very bluntly about it. They're, they're fighting and they're arguing. He calls it a lack of spiritual maturity. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. <laughs> it's rough. He essentially looks at him and goes, quit being a bunch of babies in Jesus. You're so immature. I mean, he didn't beat her out of the bush. Verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly. 
For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? It's pretty harsh. I'm willing to admit this, though. There's moments where I argue over dumb stuff. And I show the same immaturity. Do you? There's just moments where you get hung up on something. Your feelings get hurt and you just decide to get bent out of shape. Some of you actually had that great experience this morning. See, they just laughed. You were waiting for them in the car. They knew what time you had to leave. They were late. Little did you know that we were going to talk about patience this morning. The third area is this, is that they didn't see themselves as merely servants of God. It's, it's interesting. If you go to verse 5, it says, What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. What's Paul's answer to this? Well, here's the gospel. You all are fighting over this about who's better and who's greater. And he's like, here's the gospel. Jesus was the servant of all. He's the one who picked up the towel and washed the disciples' feet. And he said, just the same way I've done this for you, I want you to go do this for one another. And then he showed the ultimate act of servanthood by giving his life on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven, right? So why would we in the church ever worry about who's most important? About who gets disrespected. Paul begins his description of love by saying, here it is. Y'all make the church a hot mess sometimes. So love, first of all, is going to be this. And I understand that this list, he's not saying this is the most important and the least important from beginning to end, but I'm just not going to release the fact that he started the list of what love is by saying love is patient. Because the church, the church is messy. Here's the idea I think that we should walk away with today. Love is messy, which means that we are imperfect people, loving imperfect people imperfectly. I'm going to say that again because I think you missed it. Love is messy, which means we are imperfect people, loving imperfect people. And what happens between the two of us? Well, it's imperfect. There's going to be people that we encounter There will be Christians that you encounter that are messy. And when they encounter you, based off of what is happening in your life and the trauma and the stress that you are going through, it will require great patience on their part to love you well. So, question. What's the cure for messy relationships? It's simple. It's patience and kindness. Take a look at your notes there. I'm just going to give you a couple thoughts on this about what patience actually is. The first is this. Patience is the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. They got that from Jesus, right? What do you do for your enemies? Uh, Well, you serve them. You love them. You pray for them. Remember the definition of patience, right? What is it? It's long-suffering. There's times where we put up with something that's a minor irritation. Or sometimes we have to put up with something that's downright offensive. And we're not going to retaliate. We don't trade blow for blow. 
We don't trade harm for harm. And it doesn't mean that we're just silent about it and absorb it. There's moments for truth to say what you said, what you did, that's, that's not going to build our relationship. There's some wounding that, needs to ha- that has happened. There's some forgiveness that needs to happen. That kind of truth, that's not about lacking patience. There's time for confrontation. But please don't miss this because the second part of this is very important. Patience is not indifference. Patience is not indifference. Patience remains open to a restored relationship. We're doing this a lot lately. They call it the cancel culture, right? You know what? I'm going to have some boundaries in my life. I'm all up for boundaries. But I think sometimes we throw up boundaries really quick, like don't like them. They said that. They're to this. They're to that. And what we've created is boundaries in our lives where we only actually have relationships with those that agree with us, like us, and they're easy to get along with. What kind of love is that? Can I be really clear? I'm so glad the gospel of Jesus Christ didn't love me like that. That he said, you know, I've got some boundaries for you, Scott. And Jesus does have some boundaries for us. He has ways that he wants us to act, our obedience, right? But I'm certainly glad that when I stepped out of line, when I didn't respond with obedience, when I didn't respond with love, when I just flat out stepped into a messy world of sin myself, they didn't say, well, you're on the outside. He calls me his son. He says, get back here. You're mine. I love you because God's love for me is patient. I hope you experience that. I hope you know that, that God's love for you is first of all patient. He waits patiently for us, ready to receive us with, with kindness. Because here's what I think true patience is. It's the third thing. True patience is actually revealed by the kindness demonstrated <clears throat> after long-suffering. Patience is acting with kindness after you've been waiting too long. Remember when you were getting ready to go and you were ready and they weren't? Right? Right? And it was important. People were waiting on you. They were expecting you to show up. And if you showed up late, it was not socially acceptable. It was actually an embarrassment, right? And you were waiting, you're like, I'm not going to, I don't want to create any kind of bad pressure, vibe or mojo in the house, right? So I'm going to go wait in the car. Man, you just want to honk that horn, right? But you're like, I know Jesus didn't want me to honk that horn, so I'm not going to honk the horn because then the neighbors are going to know. Oh, he's in the car. Why is he honking the horn? Oh, she's coming out. I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to make it sound like she's always late. I'm sorry, ladies. Ladies, you're in the car, and he's running out the house, shirt untucked, and like, he's a hot mess, right? Kindness is this. It's what happens once they get in the car. Because they can get in the car, and you can go, look how patient I was. Next time, you should be on time. Or maybe a word wasn't even spoken in the car because there was a chilly air of silence. Because they deserved all the silence you just gave them. Right? Patience is not waiting. 
Patience is waiting too long. And then the very next words that come out of your mouth are marked by kindness. That's patience. See, the text in here, when you read it, if you read it in the original Greek, it does not say love is patient. Love is kind. It actually says love is patient, kind. Love is patient, is kind. He puts these two verbs right next to each other to say they're coupled some way. It's kindly patient. It's patiently kind. You can't have one without the other because you can't sit there and wait and pretend like you're, you've been so good and so righteous and so patient and the next thing out of your mouth is critical. Kindness demonstrated after long-suffering. Last Sunday... Um, I was in the lobby, and somebody invited Kelly and I to lunch. I was like, oh, that's great. But it was lunch on Wednesday. Now, if you know this about me, I never carry my phone on Sunday mornings around the church. I just don't want things buzzing, and, you know, I don't want to be on stage and be like, oh, hold on one sec. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> so I don't have my phone on me, but they said, hey, Wednesday, are you free for lunch at noon, you and Kelly? Because we're going to have some missionaries that we support over and we'd love you to have lunch. I was like, oh, that's great. But I, if I'm going to be someplace, I have to put it in my phone. And I didn't put it in my phone. And I said, oh, I'll get back to you. And I should have known better. I don't get back to people if I don't put something in my phone. It just doesn't work that way. So Wednesday at noon rolls around. I'm driving with Kelly in the car and my phone goes off. And I'm using my phone to navigate so I don't answer it. Hands free. Okay, come on. My wife's phone goes off. It's the same person. She picks it up. Hello. And it's up to her ear, but I can hear this faint voice in the background. Are you coming to lunch? Kelly says, what lunch? I'm busted by everybody. (laughs) I'm busted with my wife as she looks at me like, we have a lunch? (laughs) And I'm busted because... They've been waiting now more than 30 minutes for us. We'll be right over. Super sorry. I get to the door. We get to the door. And I'm super apologetic. I'm like the dog with his tail tucked between his legs. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And you know what I got? That's okay. I'm just so glad that you're here. The food's on. Man, it's so good to see you. Like, This full acceptance. I was already embarrassed and ashamed of what it is that I did. I didn't need more of that. And they just were patient with a whole lot of kindness. Now, did you recognize what I just did? I just told you a story about how I messed up. But my example was my forgetfulness. Can I just say my forgetfulness is me at my best? It was a little messy. But they were great people. If I'm really honest with you, I could come up with a whole lot more examples that's way worse than being forgetful. God knows me, which is scary. But because of Jesus, he chose to love me anyways in all of my mess. That's what the church is supposed to be. Because love is patient. And love is kind. 
Now, if I ended this message right here, and don't worry, I'm about to end this, but if I ended it right here, here's what I just did. I just set you up to fail. You know why? Because you're going to walk out this room and be like, okay, I got to try harder, more patience. I don't know what I'm doing right now. It's just weird, I know, but like, it's the sign of like making more effort at trying to be patient. Okay, 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 here we go. Kindness. If all you got from today was this, that, oh my goodness, I have to try harder to behave better, to follow the rules, then all I did was set you up for failure. I didn't help you become transformed. I didn't even tell you how to change. I didn't even tell you the the, the secret sauce to what it is to have your soul and your character changed by God. Because you can't change it, and I can't change it. This message isn't going to change it. It is God who transforms us from the inside out. So what's your role in it? Let me give it to you real quick. Make sure that we get this. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is not an invitation to follow more rules or try harder. It's not trying to earn God's respect. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this invitation to not just be forgiven, but to apprenticeship with Jesus. Apprenticeship with Jesus. Maybe you've never heard that before. Let me give you a couple scriptures that I bet some of you have heard before. Luke 6.40. It says, the student is not above the teacher. So when you become a follower of Jesus, you're the student. Jesus is the teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. You're not signing up for heaven. You're signing up for apprenticeship. Where you start thinking, feeling, behaving, acting more like Jesus and less like your old self. If I stop there, hopefully that's convincing enough, but I'm not gonna. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Not, not more to do. Not behavior management. I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an invitation for apostleship, excuse me, apprenticeship. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The yoke is what animals would put on, ox would put on, so that the, the, the direction, the guidance, the leadership of the owner behind them would guide them and direct them. Jesus is saying, why don't you put this yoke on? It's easy, it's light. It's not something that should break you. It shouldn't be burdensome. And he says, why don't you come and learn from me? But you have to receive this yoke of guidance and direction. When John wrote about something that Jesus said under the same idea, he wrote this in John 15, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. So if you think you prayed a prayer just so you could get into heaven, you're a branch that is disconnected from Jesus if you're not in relationship with him daily. That, that life is fruitless. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. The Christian life is not an invitation to heaven. It's an invitation to a relationship and apprenticeship with Jesus And then when you have that relationship with Jesus right here on earth, when you die, that relationship just continues in eternity. There were two guys who spent a lot of time with Jesus, Peter and John. 
And after Jesus ascends to heaven, these guys get in this conflict, and they're in front of this court, and this is what it said about them in Acts 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Do you get it? They spent so much time with Jesus that who Jesus was, how he thought, how he reacted to things, his character rubbed off on these two guys. You know what social scientists say? I can predict the outcome of your life about the kind of person you're going to be. It's super simple. Just pick the five top people that you spend more time with than anyone else. That's what you're going to be like. Isn't that crazy? They can predict your character, the kind of decisions that you're going to make based off of the top five people you're going to be with. The more time you spend with Jesus the more he starts transforming your life. You can't change yourself, but you certainly can stay connected to who Jesus is. Um, I, I need to wrap this up. I just want to be clear that the gospel of Jesus is God's patience and kindness towards you. And it's the invitation to spend time with Jesus, your leader, your Lord, and the more you do, you're going to understand the kind of patience he's had with you and is continuing to have with you and the kindness he showed you. So if I told you, oh, just try harder, I'm setting you up for failure. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just be with Jesus. I, I don't mean five minutes a day. It's not about a devotion in the morning. It's you and I constantly living in the presence of Jesus where we recognize his patience and kindness with us. And how he's been patient and kind with you. Show that same, that same patience and kindness with others. Um, I, I did this. I just wrote down some questions for you. Maybe you'll talk about these at lunch today. With people you trust, okay? Maybe it's family or friends. Maybe it's dinner tonight. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't want to talk these out. I'd rather write them down. Maybe you'll journal these. How have you experienced God's patience and kindness when you've made a mess of your life? What would happen if you wrote that out? It would highlight how God's been patient with you. How has he waited for you to come to him? When did he tolerate your resisting him? How did he love you in your mess? When did he show you kindness rather than treat you as you deserve? See, as we process that and our minds spend time with Christ in that, it starts building patience and it starts building kindness. And trust me, He's going to give you plenty of opportunities to demonstrate it. Here's my final statement to you. We are imperfect people, loving imperfect people imperfectly. But we are empowered by the gospel that is patient and kind towards us. Would you stand with me? I want us to read that together. I would rather declare this. So if you're able, go ahead and stand with us. And I want you and I to not weak voice this. Right? We're going to declare this. We're going to have the band come out and wrap up in just a moment. But I want us to declare this truth over us. Because it's an admission that we're not perfect. But it's also an admission that we are actually empowered by God. To have the kind of love that our world needs and this church needs. You ready? Here we go. We are imperfect people, loving imperfect people imperfectly, but empowered by the gospel that is patient 
and kind towards us. And God, here we are, and we would ask that you would do this work in us, that your patience would become a part of us, that your kindness would become a part of us, so that we would know what love is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.